0: Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, As you can see, all the teens have got their shirts on, and uh, it's kind of hard for me to believe that it was this time last year that I was at D-NOW playing in the band, and uh, only a few uh, weeks and months later, um, I became the youth intern here, then the youth minister, and now I got to plan D-NOW for this year, and uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful year, Our theme for the weekend, uh, you see on the teen shirts, uh, was dying to live. And there's this, there's this paradox in Scripture. And we find it all throughout Scripture. We find, we find sayings such as, many who are first will be last. See, you've seen this as well. Um, Christ said, whoever is greatest among you will be the servant, will be the slave of the other. And and my youth pastor came up and he spoke to us about being in what he calls the God zone, being in this state of mind where everything that the world sees is exactly opposite. And we talked about how being in the God zone this week was 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 to think differently than the world, And to think differently than than the world. And and the main verse was uh, from Matthew sixteen. Uh, Those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. And he talks about in Matthew 16, uh, whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, for Christ's sake, will what? Find it. And today, I want to point out to you from Scripture. We're going to be in the book of Galatians today. You can go ahead and turn there. Today, I want to talk to you about what I believe is the most puzzling thing to the world. The thing that is the most glorious for the Christians, for those who have put their faith in Christ, but something that is completely puzzling and completely backwards from what this world is used to. And it's the idea that God would become flesh and hang on a cross. And that's what we're going to talk about. All the songs that we have sang today have been about the cross. That has been the central theme of our weekend, the cross, the cross. And so, we're going to begin today, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 11. Paul has gotten to the end of this great book on grace. That is what the book of Galatians is all about. And at the very end of this book, in verse 11, he's gotten to the end. and, And Paul usually used a scribe to write all his letters. And then we find out, we're going to read in verse 11, that Paul here at the end of the Galatians, has taken the pen from his scribe. When he wrote it the letter to the Galatians, he has taken the pen from him. And we look in verse 11 and Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing you, with my own hand. It is those who would want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be Persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. As you know, uh, I got engaged this past year in December. Me and Chelsea are engaged to marry and... And uh, we have been planning all this stuff, and if you've ever been involved with a wedding, you know how much stuff goes into it. You have guest lists. I'm looking back there at Brandon, and he's like shaking his head. He's like, man, he's in the middle of it with me. He's like, we've we got a lot to do. We've got a lot of planning. And uh, there's so much. There's guest lists. There's colors. There's cakes. There's meeting places. There's getting the pastor. There's going to marriage counseling. There's all this different stuff. And one aspect of the planning is at the reception. You have the the dinner table, and you ladies will know about this. You guys will, will, will have a lesson today, uh, but you ladies already know about this. The dinner table, and there's a lot that goes on the dinner table, isn't there? You've got to choose your flatware. You've got to choose china. You've got to choose linens. You've got to choose napkins. You've got to choose chair coverings. You've got to choose bows and pretty little flowers to go on the chairs. There's just a lot that goes at the dinner table. But ladies, what do you put right in the middle of the dinner table? What goes in the middle? The centerpiece. The centerpiece. And and the centerpiece is the focal point of the entire table. I mean, it is right there in the middle, and it is the focal point. And the design, the color, the shape of your centerpiece determines, doesn't it, what everything else on the table kind of looks like. For instance, you wouldn't have a beautiful floral centerpiece and a New York Yankees tablecloth, would you? I don't know who would want that, but... Um, You wouldn't have... I really don't know who would want that. You wouldn't have a beautiful crystal uh, centerpiece and then put plastic forks on the table, would you? No, the centerpiece determines how everything else on the table looks. And today, we're going to be talking about our salvation, how it is that we know God, and what we put at the center of that thought on how we know God, and what we put at the center is going to determine everything else about how we relate to God. And here's what I mean. When we look at this text today, we're going to see that there were men that Paul was writing to in Galatia who were placing at the very center of their salvation works. They were placing at the very middle, the centerpiece of their salvation, they were were placing works. Paul is writing them and he's going to say, no, no, no. What goes at the center of your salvation is the very cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that today. Uh, We're going to look at the fact that the cross is the centerpiece of our salvation. In the same way, when we as children of God begin to form our theology and our, our view of salvation, we need to place the cross at the center. We're going to see three things today. On, on the reason, three reasons why Paul says the cross is the centerpiece for our salvation. Three reasons. Uh, we're going to look at, first of all, the cross shifts our focus to Jesus. Secondly, the cross leads us to peace and mercy with God. And finally, the cross allows us to become like Jesus. So look back with me at verse 12, and let's examine this first reason. Verse 12 reads, It is those... Who would want to make a good showing in the flesh? Who would force you to be circumcised? And then skip down to verse 14, because Paul's going to answer, and he says, But far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the first thing that the cross does, the first reason why the cross should be at the center of our salvation is because it shifts our focus to Jesus Christ. It shifts our focus to Him. How many of you have ever seen the magic eye pictures? Have you seen those? This means yes, this means no. You guys can, this is Youth Weekend, you guys can interact with me. You guys can just relax, smile some, and just, just have a good time today. You can talk to me, you can give me amens. You know, that giving an amen to a preacher is like saying sick to a bulldog. So you can, you, can, you can talk with me today, you can give me some amens. When I grew up, I used to love the magic eye pictures. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen them, what it is, it, it, it will be a picture, and it will just be a bunch of colors mushed together and blurred together. And you could stare at that thing for an hour, and it would look like nothing but a bunch of weird colors all mixed together. But when you focus right on the picture, when you focus on that image perfectly, there's a hidden image there. Have you seen those? You've seen them. And, and when you look at the picture right there, there, there is a hidden image. It is the same way with our salvation. There are people that look at the cross all day long and it confuses them. But when you put the, the cross in its proper context in salvation, the whole picture is clear and it points us to Jesus. There are two ways that the cross shifts our focus towards Christ. And The first way is this. First, we become... Fixated on the cross. We move from works, as Paul is writing to these guys uh, in Galatia. We move from works to being fixated on the cross. In all we do, we magnify Jesus and His cross. John the Baptist said in John 3.30, He must increase. I must decrease. He must increase. You see, the problem with these men who are proclaiming salvation... By works they were called Judaizers. That's what I'm going to refer to them as. They were trying to get Christian believers in Galatia to return to their Jewish uh, law and and teaching and following the law to have salvation. These Judaizers, the problem was that they strictly observed the law, and they were proud of it. Their pride caused them to lift their own personal piety above the sacrifice of Jesus, and that is one of the big problems with salvation, when we base it on works, is that it takes the focus off of the sinless Son of God. It relegates the cross to nothing but cosmic child abuse. And so the first thing that, that, that we see with these Judaizers is that, is that they were prideful. Paul says in verse 12, they were just trying to make a good showing in the flesh. Now Paul wrote to the Philippian believers, and, and I submit to you that if anyone had a reason to be proud over what they had done, it was Paul. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Only a a few pages over. I'll start in verse 3. Paul writes, For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now listen to what Paul says Paul said, blameless. He was blameless. But listen to Paul when he talks about his own works that he had done. Listen to Paul as he is now going to turn his attention from his own works, from his own religiosity to the cross. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss ...of his resurrection... ...and may share in his sufferings... ...becoming like him in his death... ...that by any means possible... ...I may attain the resurrection... ...from the dead. You see, Paul could have been proud about himself. I mean, Paul was a, a Jew of the Jews. He kept the law. He had memorized huge portions of the Scripture. And yet Paul recognizes in the book of Philippians... ...that all of that that was gained to him... ...was lost for the sake of Christ Jesus. And he begins to be fixated on the cross of Christ. You see, Paul had an encounter with the Living God and realized that all the obedience in the world would send a person to hell if they didn't know and trust in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Paul doesn't stop being obedient, but begins to stop relying on his personal begins to rely on his personal relationship with Jesus to get him into heaven instead of being proud of his obedience, he begins to boast in the fact that Jesus Christ was obedient. begins to boast in the fact that Jesus Christ, although he was God, did not consider equality with God necessary or something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant. He glories in the cross. The second way that our focus shifts is when we realize that not only are we fixated on the cross of Christ, But we are fixed to the cross of Christ. Look at verse 14 again. Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I read a quote this week as I was studying this passage, and and I love this. The church father, Marius Victorinus. Don't name your kid that. This church father named Marius. He wrote this of Christ. In the cross, he identified with every person in the world. In doing so, he made everything that he suffered universal. That is, he caused all flesh to be crucified in his death. Therefore... I too am fixed to the cross. You see, there is this this idea in Scripture that you are fixed with Christ to the cross. That when Christ died, He paid for your sins so literally that it was almost as if you were fixed to the cross. Paul writes to the Romans that God made Him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us when Christ satisfied the wrath of God against my sin on the cross, it was so real, the sacrifice of Christ was so real that that had I been there, I literally could have walked up to Jesus and asked, what's your name? And because his sacrifice for my sin was so real, he could have almost looked back at me and said, Jonathan Holmesley." You see, it was my sin, it was your sin that was paid for, on the cross. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the fact that you were fixed through the cross 2,000 years ago. I know Bailey Smith uh, was in the Holy Land a few years back. His first trip to the Holy Land and uh, he was on a tour guide and he was taken to Calvary to see the site of the cross, where the cross was. And when he got there, he broke down and he began to weep and the tour guide asked him, he said, oh, this, is, this must be your first time to Calvary. He said, no, I was here. 2,000 years ago. And there is this idea that we have been fixed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 talks about how He has borne our griefs. How the chastisement that brought our peace was upon Him. And and verse 6 specifically says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So what does this mean for us? It means that as we grow closer to the cross of Christ, as we get more acquainted with what He did for us there, the more we should place the cross above everything on this earth. The more we become fixated on the cross of Jesus. The more we become fixed to and realize that we are fixed to the cross of Jesus. You should place the cross above your friends. Your job. Your wife. Your very own life. I've got to be honest with you. Um, this is my first time being a minister. And, and this past year, uh, I've, I've really wanted everyone to know that I'm doing a good job. I want to know that I'm doing a good job here. And, and sometimes that can be a controlling factor for, for ministers. Um, to, to want to do a good job. But, but if, we ever, if I ever come to a point in my life where I place success above the cross of Jesus Christ, I have missed it. Completely and entirely. And if you ever get to a point in your life where you place the cross above anything, anything, and I'm not saying you don't love your family, you don't love your job, you don't take pride in the things that you have that God has given you. But what I am saying is that if you ever get to a point of where you place something else above the cross, you just, you just missed it completely. You just missed it. Because you were fixed to the cross. And now you seek Him as first place in your life. You get better acquainted with what He did for you. You seek a better perspective on your life. You shift your focus towards Jesus. That is what the cross does. It shifts our focus off of me to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason why the the cross is the centerpiece of salvation. The first reason is that it shifts our focus to Jesus. The second reason is that the cross leads us to peace and mercy with God. Look at verse 13. We're going to read verse 13, 15, and 16. Paul writes, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 15, Paul answers that and he says, Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, and this is great, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. In verse 13, Paul points out the biggest problem with a works-based salvation. Here it is. If you're ready for it, here it is. The biggest problem, if you try to base your salvation on your works, here's the biggest problem. It doesn't work. That's the biggest problem with a works-based salvation is that it doesn't work. You've heard Jared share this illustration before that if we were all lined up on, on the beach and we were going to try to jump across the Atlantic Ocean. If we were all standing there and you were standing beside me and, and we were standing there and we could feel the sand on our feet and we were going to try to jump over to London. Some of us might make it a couple feet some of us make it a couple more feet. Some of us might make it, you know what, let's say if you could jump 20 feet. Could any of you cross the Atlantic o- Ocean by jumping? You can talk to me. Yes. You couldn't do it, could you? It's, it's impossible to do it. And that is the same way when we try to get to God. It would be like us standing on uh, the, the beach down at Myrtle Beach. It would be like us standing there on the beach, or the coast as Baptists say, It'd be like us standing on the beach and God standing in London and us trying to jump to Him. And no matter how good we could get, no matter how good we could be, we'd never make it. And that's the the main problem with a works-based salvation. It doesn't work. Now, this is going to shock some of you. This is going to surprise you, so just grab onto the pew, brace for impact. But me and Jared are not perfect. Now, I, I heard the gasp everywhere. You know, I, I told you, brace for impact. But, but, but me and Jared are not perfect. And, and I say that because I grew up in a pastor's home. Jared grew up in a pastor's home. And there's this interesting dynamic when you're a preacher's kid. Oh, man, he's going to be a preacher. And me and Jared have talked about this time and again. I have people at my home church every time I go home who, who talk about, you know, my dad's been running the race as the preacher and, and now they're going to hand the, he's going to hand the baton off to me. And, and there's this stigma when you're a Christian or when you are a pastor's son or when you're you know, a, a good moral person who goes to church, who does the right thing. There's this stigma that, oh, they're, they're different. People treat some pastors as if they're superstars. And I've met a lot of pastors and I've, I've not met one that I would consider a superstar. Um, I've stood and talked with people who didn't know I was a believer at first. I was just getting to know them. And the moment they find out I'm a believer, it's like, they brand you. Oh, he's a holy person. You know, he, he does all that good stuff. Instantly, their language cleans up. You know, instantly, things clean up in their life when they find out you're you're a Christian. You know, instantly, you know, you you know it. You're at the water. They're standing around the water cooler at work, and you walk up, and the conversation just kind of dies off. And there's this there's this stigma that oh, they are they're good people, they're good people. Let me tell you something, church. I love you all, but we are not good people. We're not. Now we do great things. We are capable of doing good things, but we are not good people. The moment that we, as a body of believers, realizes that humanity as a whole has issues the sooner we will throw ourselves on the mercy of God, the sooner that we realize that we have issues. They might not all be the same issues, but we have issues. Nightdale has issues. Here in Nightdale, we have everything from white liars to bank robbers. You guys remember the Wachovia got got robbed here a while back. We've got everything from, from people who are dealing with all kinds of issues, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's rape, We've got issues and we've got to come to realize that this community is broken and is dying and it is in desperate need of the love of Jesus Christ. We are not good people. We are sinners saved by the very grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in being obedient to death on the cross. We need to come to the point at which we realize that even though Christ died for us, we don't always live for Him. We are not perfect. And, and let me say this with all love. Green Pines Baptist Church, we are not God's gift to Nightdale. Jesus is. Jesus is. We are not God's gift to Nightdale, but we are the means by which Nightdale will receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And there is no greater gift that this community, this community could receive than the love of Jesus Christ. And we are the means. We've been blessed to be the means by which they receive that. We must believe in and preach the cross to Nightdale. That is what leads people to peace with God. Paul says there in verse 16 that all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That is what brings us to God is the cross. You've seen the picture on the track where where you've got God on one side and, and people on the other and the cross fits right in between it. And that is the idea that I want to convey to you today, that if there is something that is going to bridge the gap between Green Pines Baptist Church and this community, it's got to be the cross. It's got to be the cross. If there is going to be a bridge that we walk across to get to this community, it has to be the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that is where we find mercy. The people of Nightdale, the people in this community, cannot find God's mercy by being good. Paul's proven that to us. They cannot find God's mercy. The people of Nightdale will ultimately, if they do not have the cross of Jesus Christ, die and spend eternity separated from God. And our bridge to them, the way we preach them, the way we minister to them, the thing that we place at the center of our salvation, the center of our church, the center of this pulpit, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it leads to God's peace and it leads to God's mercy. The third reason why the cross is the centerpiece of salvation. First, we saw that it shifts our focus to Jesus. Secondly, that it leads to God's peace and God's mercy. And finally, the cross allows us to become like Jesus. Look back at verse 13 one more time. Paul writes, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And Paul's basically pointing out that the only reason that these men are trying to make you do works is so that they might just boast in the numbers that are coming to follow them. Look at verse 17, what Paul has to say to that. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks Jesus. When we look at verse 13, we we realize that these Judaizers don't really care about the people that follow them. They're just concerned that, and they're just happy that more people are following them. They don't really care about these people. They just want to boast in their flesh. Paul writes that all they care about is boasting in the fact that one more person has joined their ranks. They are selfish and unconcerned with the deep issues and struggles that their followers deal with. Paul says, I want to lift up Jesus. That's what I'm concerned with. You see, the Judaizers were, were, were making large this physical mark on their body of circumcision. And Paul says, oh, you're, you're proud of this physical mark on your body. Well, I've got some physical marks for you too. The marks of Jesus on my body. Let me, let me just describe to you what he's getting at here. Guys, have you ever been sitting around the campfire and we did this... Um, over the weekend, we did some manly games. We did some, some fun stuff. Have you ever been sitting around and you see the guys, you know, they're sitting around the table and they, you know, the guy rolls up his sleeve and shows you a big gash on his arm and he says, yeah, man. That was, that was climbing a tree one time. I fell out and I caught a limb on the way down and it just ripped my arm wide open. And he's proud of his scar, man, you know. Have you seen that? You can talk to me. i got to bring you back. You can talk to me. Have you seen that? Guys, you know, you can picture them around the table. Four or five guys around the table. And the other guy, he begins to roll up his leg. And he shows these big teeth marks on his leg. He says, man, I was scuba diving. And this bull shark just tore right into my leg. And he's proud of his scar. He's proud of it. Man, that was a manly scar. Well, you know, if the Apostle Paul was sitting at the table, he'd begin to lift up his shirt. You'd see bones that were broken, that never quite healed back properly. You'd see broken bones. Paul would say, that was from when I preached Jesus in a city, and they stoned me for it. And Paul would roll up his sleeves as well, and roll up his pant legs as well, and he would show you the mangled and scabbed flesh. I I hate to be grotesque, but it's true the mangled flesh on his wrists and ankles, and he would say, that is that is from the time that I was chained to a Roman guard, and I was writing letters of grace, and letters of the cross to different churches all over the Roman Empire. Those are from the shackles. Paul would turn around, and he would show you his back, and you would see the scars from where the whip had lashed his back. And he would say, that was from a Philippian jailer that we read about in Acts chapter 16. That was from a Philippian jailer. And uh, he just beat me relentlessly for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'd look at him and you'd say, Paul, what in the world? Why would... Why would anyone do that? Why are your bones broken and not healed properly? Why do you have these stripes on your back? And why is it that you were chained up? What would cause such torment? And he would say to you, Those, my friend, are the wounds of love. Those are the true marks of Jesus Christ. I preached his gospel. And in this life, that's what I got in return. I chose to know Him not only in His life but also in His suffering. Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment today to reflect on the marks of Jesus. Do you Bear on your body the marks of Jesus. Now, I I don't hope, I I don't wish on anyone that anyone would have physical pain, but have you ever suffered because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you ever been ostracized for it? Have you ever had to turn down a promotion because it wouldn't fit in with your belief in Jesus Christ? Have you ever suffered? Do you know Christ as Paul said? In His suffering? Do you know Christ in His suffering? Let me ask this question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally at all? You see, because today, God has come near. The prevailing kingdom of God is closer than you think. And today, if you don't know Jesus, He is reaching out to you, and you know it. And uh, the only way that you'll ever get to see Him face to face, the only way that you'll ever escape His wrath will be if you accept the cross as the centerpiece of your salvation. So I invite you Christians, you come for a moment, you pray down at the front, commit your body to be willing to bear the marks of Jesus Christ. Know him in his death, to know him in his suffering, and also in his life. Christians come today and place the the cross at the centerpiece of your life. If you don't know Christ, I'll be down front. You can come take the hand my hand or, or Jared's hand, and we would love to tell you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. That's the invitation. Come now, come to Jesus.